There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. The Sopranos prequel, The Many Saints of Newark, hits movie theaters tomorrow. I spoke with creator David Chase about the show's legacy, his favorite episodes, and the controversial finales cut to black. David Chase, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. Uh, thank you. We're here talking The Sopranos uh, prequel, Many Saints of Newark, which comes out in theaters October 1st. Um, now, I mean, you ended The Sopranos on such a, a famous note, the cut to black. What, what made you want to return? Like something tells me you probably wouldn't have done it a- anything like a sequel after the cut to black, but a prequel on the front end, did that intrigued you more? Yeah, that intrigued me more. There's no way I would have done a sequel. That story was, that's the end of that story, but. Um, after what is it, fourteen or fifteen years? I I just kind of got in the mood, got again to go back to that universe. It was always fun. It was always creative, creatively satisfying. And I, I have to be honest, I didn't start the whole idea. Um, I was approached by um, Toby Emmerich of Warner Brothers, uh, and. He'd been doing that for 14 years, asking me if I wanted to do that, do a movie, a Sopranos movie. <laughs> and finally, I figured, yeah. I mean, I hadn't, I wasn't producing anything else, so I thought, yeah, I'll do it. Awesome. Well, I know fans are going to be glad that you did. What was it like working with James Gandolfini's son, uh, Michael Gandolfini? Obviously, I mean, th- th- were there times on set that you, you know, you just stopped and thought like, wow, that that's James. That's a spitting image of the guy I work with. Uh, rest in peace. You know, the guy I worked with for so many years. No, I have to be honest. This is a very disappointing answer for everyone. Um, but I believe that Michael feels this way too. Um, although you'd have to ask him. <laughs> uh, for me, it, it, it was a job. It was a production. And, um, I never really thought about James when we were doing it. Um, Michael was an actor saying lines and doing things called for in the script. And that's all I was interested in at that point. That's just the way it is. There was no, no sentiment or sentimentality either involved in it. You just came to work and knocked it out. <laughs> All right. Well, no, I wouldn't say we knocked it out. We just, we worked very hard. But um, I, you know, one, in the read-through, before we went, before we started shooting, I looked across at him sitting at a table, and they were reading a scene which he wasn't even in, and he was listening to it, and he was shifting his shoulders back and forth, 
like his old man would have done. And I thought, wow, that's kind of, it's almost eerie. <laughs> um, and that would be the last time I thought about it at all. After then, just uh, the needs of production took over, and it's all we ever thought about, either one of us, I think. Wow, wow. Well, yeah, thanks for being so open uh, and, and insightful about that answer. Um, well, tell me about, you know, what was the thought process behind not doing just a straightforward story of just young Tony growing up to, you know, filling in the gap like a Bronx tale or something from kid to adult, you know, like, uh, in fact, Mike, Michael doesn't show up. I mean, we see younger versions of him, but Michael doesn't show up till probably like 50 minutes in or something, you know, when we start getting the mm-hmm. ice cream truck and stuff. But, um, you know, if, if anything, his uncle Dickie Maltesani, Alessandro Nivola, the actor is, is, is almost the lead role or equal lead, lead part in this. What was the thought process behind uh, going in that route and, and highlighting a Maltesanti as such a huge part of this? And we got Michael Imperioli narrating in the beginning too. So why'd you go to the Maltesanti route? Um, well, to begin with, I mean, my partner, Lawrence, writing partner, Lawrence uh, Connor and I, once we had agreed to create a screenplay for Warner Brothers, um, what our preference was to do was to make a really solid gangster movie. That's all. Uh, make that as good as we could with the most interesting betrayals and and narrative turns and the most interesting characters and depth. Um, a gangster movie. Um, and but we knew the money was coming from Warner Brothers and they wanted a Sopranos movie, so that was fine by both of us. And we had this character, Dickie Moltisanti, who by the description of him in the show seemed to be an ideal gangster, uh, wise guy, mob guy, and kind of a mystery. And so we said, let's find out who he is. And that's how it happened. Well, he's an interesting character, no doubt. So you can't really go wrong there. Um, I noticed, uh, I know a lot of Sopranos fans are going to notice some some really fun echoes that, you know, foreshadow things that happen in the TV series. Um, you know, like the when young Tony's in with the guidance counselor, that seems almost like, t- you know, adult Tony's therapy sessions. There's some fun stuff with Corey Stoll's Uncle Junior, um, uh-huh. even even Ray Liotta at the steering wheel. I mean, we all remember Christopher's demise was at a steering wheel and behind the car. So there's some really cool stuff. But do you have any favorite, uh, you know, echoes like foreshadowings that 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 we might have missed that you say, ah, look, look for this little Easter egg that foreshadows something? Let me th- oh, let me, you know, let me think. That you might have missed. I mean, I we saw it the other night with a large crowd. It was and it just went over. It was incredible. I've never I've never been through anything like that in my life. Um, but let me think. What did I? We're watching it. What did I see? Or even just you could speak to the steering wheel the echo of Christopher if you can't come up with anything. Just I, just speak to the idea of how you're trying to put those echoes in there. Well, we you know that's seemed to me to be part of the job, and that was a pleasure too was to have the people repeat themselves and to think that they, that 20, you know, 20, 25 years prior, they'd been saying the same crap. That was fun. You know, um, it was really good being back in that universe. I'll have to say that in the Sopranos universe with those characters. Uh, I'm very fond of all those characters, you know, sleazy as they may be, but, I love them all. 
Absolutely. Well, one of the more obvious echoes, obviously, is towards the end, not the final scene, but close to it with when young Tony's at the restaurant hearing the doorbell ringing. Of course, you're, you're calling back to that um, famous cut to black finale of The Sopranos. You've you've probably been approached with so many theories and asked so many times. But um, to me, to me, it's pretty obvious, like we got the members only jacket guy, the Godfather bathroom, obviously. But to me, it's all in the film language of the shot pattern you know doorbell tony looks up pov it's that shot pattern and when we cut when you cut to black it's during the pov so to me it's clear it's clear that that tony's dead there but i think you sir are such a genius that you even threw out another layer for us because we get that whole the the song is saying all that you dream clouds change the scene and then you do that what 2001 kubrick style cut where he sees himself kind of a thing um so are you are are you wow you 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 brought up your dream clouds change the scene. That's pretty, um, what's the word, perspicacious of you. Seriously, that's great. <laughs> I had forgotten that. <laughs> it was important. Well, I guess my question yeah. is, is is there a, is there an out there that that, you know, on, on the surface, if you look at it like a film student, the, the shot pattern, of course, he's dead in the POV black. But you're also giving us an out that it could be another one of the famous Sopranos dream sequences. <laughs> um. I have to be. I will be honest and candid about that. That never occurred to me. Well, that never for, occurred to me. Thanks for settling. It. Well, what's your answer then? What's your general uh, go-to when people ask? Then just you know, the the movie never ends. It goes on and on like the song. You you uh, want yeah, to get the black? It's it's for people to watch and end it for themselves, or not end it for themselves. I I'm not going to say any more about that ending. And every time I do, even the littlest thing, people jump on it and say, "See, he said this. Or, See, he meant that." So I'm not going to talk about that ending. Well, I think the fact that everyone's talking about it means you did you did your job. I, I think it's they I think it's now. a masterpiece. They're, they're still talking about it now. Yeah, no. if it if it was a traditional ending, people wouldn't still be talking about it. The reason that That's the true. reason we're still talking. It. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, true. For sure, for sure. Do you um do you do you have a favorite episode? I mean, for me, comedically, it was Pine Barrens, obviously. But then for drama, you can't beat Whitecaps with the marital arguments. But did you have a favorite? Whitecaps was pretty good. Um, um, I've always said, and it's true, I really like the ride. I like that episode a lot. Remind uh, us what that one, one is. The, that was uh, where the Italian feast came to town, and the teacups ride broke. And Janet tried to fleece them out of money because her son got a tooth knocked out or something. Um, and that's where Chris went back on heroin. That's a good one. Um, uh, I really like, um, I can't think of your name, but is that weird? The one where AJ tries to commit suicide. Oh, with it's, the, the, the block in the swimming pool and everything? Yeah, yeah. I really like that one. And But earlier, I'm trying to say. I think um, it's kind of hated for good reason. Um, the one where Ralphie kills the stripper. I just don't remember the titles of these anymore. Um, the one where Ralphie kills the stripper behind the bada bing. That was a very good episode. That was a great episode. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I, also, I also like the one where Chris and Tony go out to the, to the farm to bury... Ralphie in two separate places. That was a really good episode. Oh yeah, absolutely. There, there's so many good ones. I mean, you'd be hard pick uh, trying to pick yeah, your favorite. That's the way I feel. Yes, it's the truth. 
Absolutely. Well, was there was there a, a whacking, a murder that hurt you the most? Was there any character that was the, the hardest to kill off? <laughs> well, sure. Um, Adriana was really hard. Absolutely. That was very sad. And actually got you, got me emotionally. And people, a lot of people tell me they had the same reaction. They well, felt that, like crying or they were near crying or, yeah, that was, that was a, a rough one. And that's the only one where we didn't show the bullet, the bullet impact. In other words, we saw Sylvia fire the gun, but we never saw her take the slug. And all the other ones, you saw somebody getting hit with the bullet or whatever it was, the, the pipe, whatever it was, and going down, but not, not that one. Well, I mean, all these years, I mean, I guess it's been a couple of years now, but I guess the Writers Guild, they'd rank the best written shows ever and Sopranos topped the list and it, it's hard. You're not going to get an argument from me, but um, why, no, I know. Why, why is it? Why is it? Why is it number one in, in your book? I mean, you were involved with it, but if you could take a step back, objectively speaking, why do you think just how it paved the way for everything else that followed? Well, it's hard to answer that question without sounding like um, a pompous uh, conceited, <laughs> you know, sh schmuck. Um, <laughs> we give you permission. I, Go for it. <laughs> uh, I think um, I think it had the closest um, representation of real people, of real human beings, and how they operate and how they think, and how small they can be. Uh, I think that's why. Absolutely. Well, it's and it's part of the legacy of it too. Is you know. Every all these HBO shows and even even other networks, we see all these shows now. You know, you'll see, you know, Boardwalk Empire, Terrence Winter, Mad Men, Matthew Weiner, you know, Game of Thrones. You'll see Alan Taylor and you know, what is it, Tim Van Patten. You'll see all these same names popping up. And I know Alan Taylor directed this too. But is that? Do you sit back, sort of like a proud parent sometimes? And and is that in some ways is that some of the Sopranos' biggest legacy is the work that all these people have gone on to do? I mean, you you really launched a bunch of careers in front of and behind the camera with that show. Well, I never I never would think of it that way. If I was that was the biggest part of the legacy. Um, because I, I, you know, in my mind all the time, it's all the work that went into each and every episode, but I think it's a, I think it's a great thing that they want, that they use the Sopranos as a model, but you see, in other words, I, I'm a worker in that industry as, as are they, right. uh, or let's say I'm a contractor, okay? like I'm building a house. And so to me, all it really means is, oh, so they hired the best carpenter. They, they hired my friend, Eddie, the plumber. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're the best guys. And so it's a business. To me, it's more about business than anything else. Well, I, admire I, don't, I don't mean money. It just, it's more about professional standards. Well, I admire your workmanlike uh, approach there. I mean, I think that's probably some of the secret of your success. But if you if you had to look at it, you know, culturally, how do you think it did change television? Because to me, there's that line or demarcation point. You I mean that's there was before The Sopranos, and then there was after. I think it was the first show let let human beings be human beings. That nothing was done to gild any lilies, to cover up any dents in the uh, in the fender i think people were what they were and it wasn't pretty and it wasn't noble and it wasn't patriotic and it wasn't politically correct 
it was real. Absolutely. Well, I guess closing seconds, I know you're a busy man and we got to run. So I guess final question, um, just bringing it back all the way back around to many saints of Newark. There's a theme in there. I guess it comes from Buddhism where Ray Liotta is, you know, is, is talking to uh, uncle Dickie. And, yeah. and, you know, when, when he, he, vi he visits him in the prison all the time and you get a lot of good, you know, tragic warnings and bad omens and thematic stuff through in, in those mm -hmm. scenes. Um, but there's that line that, you know, he, he tries to warn him. He says, pain always comes from wanting things. Is, is that sort of the mm -hmm. takeaway message from Many Saints of Newark? Or, yes, you know, it, what are you trying to it, warn it, the yeah, audience about? Well, here's what I here's what I believe. The Sopranos. It was about a lot of things. But there were two things that were constantly that no other two shows were so involved with. One was money, and the other was death. And those two things are related. Um, and it's not a pretty picture. And it's not the best way to live. It's not the best way for a human being to live. And I think the Buddhists are right. What is that called? The Four Noble Truths, I believe. I could be wrong. That um, all life is pain. I think we can all agree to that. I think. Maybe not everybody. But there's a lot of pain in living. And that it's our desires, our earthly desires, never being in the moment. Oh, you know what? If I get this Porsche, I'll feel better. Um if I do X, I'll feel better. Oh boy, I need to go to the swimming pool. Whatever it is, it's like you're—it's all about denying the present moment. So that's your message: and, just live in live in the present, not too much in the past or, or the future, or, or, or wanting what what we don't have. Is live in the moment. That's your message. Well, I guess my message is the moments are really small—the number of them that we get—and we lose sight of that. And when it's over, it's really over. Yeah, cut the black. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, well, thankfully, thank it's, you. Not, it's not over for this interview may be over. <laughs> but but uh, the Sopranos. Well, you know, you made me you made me think it was a good interview. I, thank you. I also spoke with Michael Imperioli last year about the launch of his episode by episode rewatch podcast, Talking Sopranos. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. When I saw this thing was coming out, I was so jacked that it even was a thing, let alone that you, you were hosting it. How is this actually structured? Are you guys going to go chronologically, like by episode? or? Yeah, it's an episode by episode rewatch uh, podcast. Um, it also incorporates guests from the show, some of the cast, some of the crew. Uh, not every show has a guest. Um, and, you know, we go through it scene by scene, and we also talk about, you know, memories from, you know, from the time from around then. We also go into, you know, somewhat how it relates to our lives now, back then. Uh, I talk about my my career before The Sopranos, after The Sopranos, Steve Sharippa, who also had a life before. Uh, he was an actor. He was in the casino business in Las Vegas. Um, but the episodes all, you know, our episodes are synced up with Soprano episodes. So ideally you watch an episode and then you listen to us talk about it. I love it. Memories real quick of Opeshi shooting you in the foot, then taking you out in Goodfellas. I mean, do you feel like you, you know, when Pesci shoots you in that thing and De Niro goes, whoa, uh, are, are you a made man at that point? You know, when we shot it, um, I was 23 or 22, um, 1989, and it was like, 
you know, I had done a couple little things in movies, not much, and some plays. I've been trying and struggling as an actor for for about six years by then, you know. So it was like getting called up from the the minor leagues to the World Series with the Yankees, you know. That's what that was like for me, um, to be with those guys who were, you know, you know, big heroes of mine. Uh, so that was a big deal, yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I wasn't sure how it was going to, you know, sometimes you get cut out of a movie. So I, I wasn't sure how it was going to play. I didn't really read the whole script. I only had my scenes from the movie, so I wasn't sure what it was going to look like on screen or if people would remember it. Or if, I had no idea it was going to be a scene that would become, you know, such a memorable one. And, and, and we didn't know if the movie was going to be, you know, a hit or a great one or a memorable one. And it turned out to be one of the greats. So uh, that was you know, very, very critical to, to my career as an actor. Yeah, yeah. Because it's back to, to, to Christopher. Um, that was arguably one of the most devastating in the whole thing. Um, you know, he, Christopher was a very unstable person, you know. Uh, and, you know, where to- I mean, Tony's life was always in danger, of course, because he's the boss and he could be arrested or killed at any time. But there was some relative stability in his life. Like, he had a big house. He had been married for a long time. He had kids, and they were start, you know, one was going to college. And, you know, Christopher was, you know, always trying to just put it together and keep it together and, you know, rise up the ladder, but, you know, one step forward, two steps back. And that I think that instability, uh, you know, which also was reflected in their relationship with, with Adriana, with Christopher and Adriana, um, I think that instability and, and volatility was something that always that brought a lot of tension to the show. Absolutely, and and you the whole father son thing with you. I mean, you're basically Tony's adopted son, you know, <laughs> to, to Junior's detriment at some point. But um, you know, I, I love the bond between you guys. And then when you when you finally read that script of you know the, the pinching of the nose scene at the car crash when we you know basically your quote unquote father is, is you know comfortably numbs playing the child has grown the dream is gone lyrics. I mean, there's so much symbolism in that. Um, do, do you do you think that you know what's going through Tony's mind at that point that you know he would take out his own son? Uh, I think it's you know I think it was really important for Tony's character to do something like that, to really show that at the end of the day, you know, he's, you know, a corrupt gangster criminal. You know what I mean? He's not a warm, fuzzy guy who's just this family guy that, you know, he's, you know, a criminal who's really about self-preservation and, you know, he comes first, you know, Um, which is important because through the course of the series, people, you know, are enamored of him. You know, they become, which is why they tune into the show because he's likable, and you want to see, you know, him go through life. But right toward, you know, Christopher's death happens almost at the end of the series, and you know, it drives home the fact that hey, at the end of the day, he's a gangster. Yeah. What What were you thinking when you, you know, because obviously throughout the different seasons, you're reading the script, you know, imagining ways that your character might go, or wondering if you're going to survive the thing or not. Um, what do you What do you What goes through your mind as an actor when you know when you get that script the first time and you say, Oh, all right, this is this is my time. I knew about it a long time ago, a long time before, like a year or two before we shot it, before it was written. I, I knew the sto- you know that storyline because I was also a writer on the show, so I was privy to a lot of a lot of what was going to happen more, much more than, you know more than anyone else in the cast. So I you know I thought it was great. I thought it was really important and, and, a, and a great idea. 
Awesome. Yeah, as you mentioned, you wrote, uh, what, season two, From Where to Eternity, season three, Telltale Model, season four, Everybody Hurts, season five, Marco Polo. You wrote a bunch. Uh, is there one particular you're most proud of, of, of writing? Uh, the first one, just because it was uh, the first one, you know, and um, I wrote a spec script between season one and season two because I, I had fallen in love with the show during the shooting of season one. Uh, so I wrote this spec script about Christopher ODing and then having these visions of the afterlife and heaven and hell and purgatory and all this. And, and David really liked it. said, well, I'm planning on Christopher getting shot so we can use all this. Um, so uh, I guess because I think that that'll always be my favorite. But the last one I wrote, Marco Polo, as well, because it's almost it's a very uh, enclosed episode, almost like a little movie unto itself. That, that was a really, uh, uh, I like that one a lot, too. And do you have do you have a favorite episode of that you didn't write? You know that that you you know at least were just a part of the White Cats episode, um, which uh, I think it's season five. I'm not sure, but it focuses mostly on Tony and Carmela's relationship, and they're almost getting divorced. They buy this house down the Jersey Shore, and their marriage is really crumbling. And there's scenes of them together alone, you know, really going through, you know, their marital difficulties, and it's just some of the best acting and writing. I've ever seen it anywhere. Oh, man. You're right. That episode comes to mind, too. That's what I would probably pick, too. So raw and believable. It's amazing. Um, you know, we got to, before we jump off here, we got to talk about, you know, everyone always wants to know about the, it'll be the very end of your podcast because you're going in order. But um, do you have a, you do have a take on it? Um, I know, I mean, to me, it's obvious, at least within what we're watching, that Tony is killed by the members only guy, you know, it cuts to black in the in the POV shot if you want to go back and forth, it's like a series of three patterns with the bell ring and it's black on the one that's supposed to be his POV, but I also think there might be a chance that maybe uh, David Chase is effing with us and it's all a dream, because he got that song lyric that says, all that you dream cloud changes scene, all that but um, do you have a personal theory or just in general that you know the public reaction back that their TV is black well, maybe we should have you on when we do that episode, you have a lot of insight into it, that's very cool I'd be happy to <laughs> you know, you got me thinking about a lot of things I always, at first I thought he was dead but then I thought, and then I've heard David Chase talk about it over the years and one of the lyrics of the journey song don't stop believing is oh the movie never ends it goes on and on and on and on and i think that's what david was trying to connect to which doesn't really answer the question <laughs> but uh it's more uh you know it's more like emotional than it is literal which doesn't satisfy anybody at all but that's that's what I've come to believe. All right. Well, you've been generous with your time, man. Uh, just final seconds. You know, I think the Writers Guild voted it the greatest written show of all time. What what say you? Make your case. Why is Sopranos the greatest show ever? I think it was the first TV show to, to bring a cinematic uh, quality of storytelling to television. You know, what people got out of movies like Goodfellas and Godfather and stuff like that. That that kind of connection. Uh, Sopranos brought that to television. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Can't wait to listen to the podcast. Thanks, right. man. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.